Good afternoon, and good evening, or good morning, and welcome to Comic Book Calamity, where we explore the weird and wonderful stories in the history of comic books. I'm Dylan. And I'm Emmett, and this week we will be talking about our impressions of the Batman, some of the <laughs> funny, weird stories around some of the cast of the Batman as well, and basically talking about everything else that's kind of going on as well, like Moon Knight, Morbius, and some of the other fun stories we've discussed already uh, on some of our videos. Yeah, we got Moon Knight. We have which is a guy who looks a lot like Batman, to the point where Marvel had to say a lot of times he is not Batman. We have Morbius, who's also a vampire, which comes from bats. And we have Batman. So this would be very suited if it was like October-ish, kind of. Be a very good one for spooky months. But unfortunately, like most spooky films, they aren't actually released around Halloween. They're always like released like either September or November or something. Like, never in October. I always found that weird. But yeah, this is going to be a pretty dark episode where we'll be talking about the Batman. We'll try and keep it spoiler-free, but, you know, as anything, like, we'll probably be talking about stuff that does happen in the film. So, you know, beware if you haven't seen any trailers or anything yet. You, when you mentioned there, actually, with films not being released when they're, you know, supposed to be viewed, last June, sorry, it was last December, I was watching Batman Returns with Diane DeVito as the Penguin, you Michael Keaton as Batman, you Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. So, you know, threw it on in December. It's set at Christmas time. You know, there's like penguins with bombs trapped at their back. It's it's a, it's a very mental film. And I looked up the film. So a film that's set very much at Christmas time. The opening scene of the film is a battle. Is a child being given up or like being put into a basket and pushed down a river on Christmas Eve. To which a massive battle that ensures then like 25 years later on Christmas Eve. When was this film released? Uh, I'm going to say not Christmas. Maybe june or something <laughs> june july-ish kind of like <laughs> and then 1992 i think and it's it's a bit like how like sure iron man 3 was set at christmas time and iron man 3 came out in may yeah absolutely true and actually one of the funny things about the batman as well is that it takes place at halloween or at least the start of it takes place at halloween and yet it was released just in the last few weeks so like it seems like when the settings of these actually happen often have very little correlation to when they'll come out. Like, I know you were actually telling me before, talking about Miss Marvel, that you thought it might come out around Halloween because you saw her dressed up as Miss Marvel as well. And, you know, you thought maybe that that might be when it will release. Um, but we actually did get a release date for Miss Marvel, and I think it's the 6th of June. We'll just get our first episode as well. Yeah, because I know a lot of TV, TV shows, like if an introduction to the character, what a lot of shows tend to do, which I don't notice myself, is it'll be set at the start of a school year or you know we very tight to the school year so i was convinced this was going to come out in the autumn where you know the first episode would be her preparing for high school it'd be her getting ready you know and all this kind of stuff and then she becomes a superhero on top of it so you get the relatable stuff of starting school which kind of helps you, you know get, get to know the character and then it's bam they're a hero so i was fully convinced they were going to do that but again like these things are very hard to predict especially with delays reshoots and like anything could happen even a covid outbreak in set considering the world we live in yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's caused so many delays for so many different projects. And like even now, we've already seen like Marvel delayed most of their film slate late last year. DC have delayed all their films as well since we spoke last. So all of the dates that we discussed are now gone as well. So, you know, things are always changing and you never know what's going to kind of cause these types of delays. Sure, you mentioned like just with the Batman, because you mentioned DC moved their Batman film from, well, the, the Flash film which happens to star a lot of Batman, or Batman, uh, from November, December this year to 2020, June 2023. So I feel like it's a bit like, okay, kids, we're going to have one, just one Batman, not just two Batman, three Batman will be on screen this year, plus a Batgirl movie. So they're giving us a lot of Batman, and yet we still have never really seen like a proper Batman TV series. Um, although we did, we do get animated series as well, but we've never had like a proper Batman live action series. Like we might get that in the future, you know, um, with some different projects that are happening, but it is kind of strange that, you know, we've always gotten stuff like Batwoman, Birds of Prey, like, uh, the Gotham Knights is upcoming as well. There's even been talk about like adapting, uh, the Gotham family adventures as well, but we've never really gotten Batman starring in his own solo series and even, with the spin-offs that they've been talking about, we haven't been told that Batman is going to be a star in any of those. Like, I suppose, like, just talking about the Batman now, I always see with TV shows, you have the kind of, like, that lens to explore world. With a film, you get, like, you know, a lens of a... Of a with a film, you get a lens into a world for maybe a 12-hour period, a 24-hour period. Mm -hmm. So, with the Batman, just... What I loved with that film was 
we basically got Gotham, I suppose, over a month. But it was such a detailed look into a city. If you get me, where there's a villain run every corridor. The city looked beautiful from the point of view of it looked awful. It, I think I think what you meant is there's like really strong cinematography and it was extremely detailed. Like he, it really brought Gotham to life and made it feel as if it was a character in its own way, which is really true of the Batman comics as well. Like Gotham is such an important setting to Batman that the idea of him leaving it is just so counterintuitive. I know right now even they're talking about Batman going to New York for a while, but even that doesn't sound right to me. Which is quite funny because Gotham is based on New York. <laughs> yeah. Because even with the Batman, which I thought was really cool about it, was if you look back at, let's say, Christopher Nolan's Batman films, they were very early 2000s the way they were filmed. So there's a lot of spectacle involved in them, very wide lenses. I'm not really, in, I'm, not, I'm not a filmmaker, so I don't know that. But it was very early 2000s. They changed how Gotham looked as well for a film. Like the first one was really bleak. And because of the content in The Dark Knight, they made mm -hmm. sure they Gotham looked very bright in The Dark Knight. Yeah. So it wasn't... I suppose, consistent how the city was viewed. Yeah, and I think by the third film, they hadn't really focused on making it dark or anything. It just looked really clean, really bright. Like, like I'm thinking a lot of the fight scene where Batman and Bane are going at each other like towards the end of the film, and it's like out in broad daylight, and it really doesn't fit like a lot of the aesthetic that we'd associate with Batman at all. And it's hugely different to the, to the dank, depressing scenes we get in Batman Begins. Like, to me, the best version of Batman ever on screen was the Batman the Animated Series, because Gotham looked like how I imagine Gotham when I read a comic, where it's always dark. It's nearly always October for some reason. All the trees don't have leaves. It's riddled with crime, and it's pure, like, guys in masks and black and white, like, tops robbing elderly women of their stuff. It's just riddled with crime, if you get me, in the most benign possible way. <laughs> Actually, no, there's nothing... I'm but, not sure they'd consider... The citizens would consider it benign, but I, I get your point. <laughs> but, like, you know, the city, it, it's really dark. If they did a little bit with the Tim Burton stuff, where it looked really like it. With the Joel Schumacher Batman, it got really weird and neon for a while. But with the Batman, I thought it looked, it looked really good, the city. And that, like... I think that kind of brought the story to the next level, where you got the sense of you're living... You're actually in a world where you weren't mm. just, you know... Yeah, that's the, like when I was watching Batman Begins, I, I only watched it at the end of January. I went, this is Chicago. This is very much Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas like, while I, I definitely have seen some of the elements from the Batman and like other films. And like, I think like I, I can kind of recognize like one or two of the bridges as well from the Batwoman series. It does really stand out itself and it has like a really developed city. It really feels truly lived in like you know there is a huge history here there are a lot of people here as well and it just really stands out as probably like the best representation of gotham that we've seen in any live action movie in my opinion like i actually remember when the gotham tv series came out was it 2013 i think around that yeah uh the director was like my gotham will be the best looking gotham ever <laughs> and i feel like we did like a talent show where we go show us your gotham and people show us their like diagrams and like what's this this is a building where people go to like do crime <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh man that'd be funny dc's next top gotham yeah um yeah like I, I feel like gotham has changed around a lot in the past like we have gotten a lot of different versions of it like from you know the classic paul dini uh batman the animated series like you got jeff masuda's one in the batman tv series as well but i think this one really stands out but while I think cinematographically, like visually, it all looks very beautiful. I think like obviously the main part of the film is the actors, like the people bring the these characters to life, like Robert Pattinson. I think he does a very good job. Like there is one scene and like I, I won't go into too many spoilers, but there is a one early scene where you see the Batman and there's a heartbroken child and you can really see like that he wants to kind of comfort the child. He wants to kind of be there he's literally been in that exact same situation and he wants to kind of be that kind of protector be someone there who can really help out and who can really kind of reach out but that's not the batman he is or at least it's not the batman he is yet and you can kind of see that you know like i think this is a scene where there is almost no dialogue from robert Pattinson, but he does a really strong a really good job at it like obviously you know there are a huge amount of other actors in the film as well particularly like um, Paul Dano as well um, as the Riddler and uh, Zoe uh, Kravitz as well as Catwoman who both do great jobs as well um, but I think that is one, one of the scenes that really kind of stood out for me thinking of like a Batman who you know is a vigilante but is also does have compassion as well 
what actually this might sound a bit half mad but I really liked about the film what corrupt Gotham was where mm-hmm. with the Dark Knight they kind of got rid of the corruption in the first 20 minutes of the film like yeah. towards the end of the film was kind of like you no know, an afterthought it's not mentioned in the Dark Knight as such mm-hmm. whereas whereas with this it kind of felt like the city was just polluted with corruption at all levels mm-hmm. from the mayor to the DA to like the gangs and I thought that was really kind of like I suppose an interesting thing to explore in the film because it's pretty much what year one was when Frank Miller wrote it so like people always say oh we're going back to year one for inspiration but this is the first time that actually kind of like I feel authentically to actually do year one yeah I think this is the first one where like we we do see a Batman who isn't beginning he has been there for a little while but this is the first time he's ever truly fighting a villain rather than a lot of small scale villainy like it does seem like he's focused a lot on like you know smaller offenses like obviously you know people trying to commit like murder and theft and stuff like that but you know you really see you really see batman kind of brought into the world of gangs brought into the world of corruption in a way that he has never really been exposed to and i think that's really evident as well in the film in the plot as well um and it's really interesting and it does really feel like a proper year one film in a way that like no other live action batman has ever been I think as well the setting of it being at like I suppose Halloween as well with the film when the film opens up and like Halloween to November really kind of suited the film to itself. If it's the middle of summer can you imagine 8 o'clock at night no Batman would have to wait until 1 o'clock in the morning to go into summer's night. So like it allowed the film to kind of be set as night as possible and it was a really kind of small stupid point to make but I thought some of the scenes in like the Dark Knight movies when Batman was out in the middle of the afternoon looked really weird and I'm pretty sure it was at Robert Patterson only four days of filming as well at night or sorry during the day in the whole film everything else was at night so like the fact the film was basically like shrouded in darkness from the start was a really kind of was really good also the halloween setting as well is very reminiscent of some of the best batman's comics ever written mm-hmm. and i'm not talking about the long halloween but you've dark victory you also have the three archie goodwin kind of like led batman specials from the legends of the dark knight series in the 1990s which we'll talk about more later on because they're very weird mm-hmm. so you've the three of those you have there's a f- there's definitely other Halloween-centered Batman comics out there, but they're the main ones everyone talks about. Overall, I think Halloween is the holiday that Batman's always been most associated with. You know, dressing up, very spooky kind of elements. It, it really kind of suits him down to the ground. And, you know, I think this was a very strong film in terms of the atmosphere, in terms of the visuals as well. And, like, some of the acting was absolutely great. Although, personally, I do think it did run, run a bit long. Like, it could have definitely been cut down a little bit. One of the things I actually kind of like, with the, the running time, I didn't mind that because like, I'm wearing a Batman hoodie right now. I'm totally not really obsessed with Batman. My actually small issue with the film was I wasn't violent enough. <laughs> I know people would say like... like I Sorry, do you want Batman to have a gun and just solve all his problems by killing people? No, I want, the, just I want, want him to brand people. <laughs> I want Batman to brand people with a bath and then send them, and send them to prison. We did that. People didn't like it. You know what? But we're, we're finished with this. We're going to have a full, long conversation with Zack Snyder. <laughs> Talking about comic book calamities, Dylan has brought us into Zack Snyder. But no, we're not going to go You promised me we wouldn't go there. <laughs> but let's let's talk about some like other calamities. But like overall, like what was your impression of the film before we do kind of move on to... No, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was kind of like a return to form for Batman as well. Like It's been an iffy couple of years. Like Especially when you look at like Scarecrow turning from Scooby-Doo, uh, Scooby-Doo episodes. When you look at like you know how weird Gotham was, which basically turned the Bat Boy for a couple of a couple of years, but really worked costumes in it. Mm-hmm. Like it looked like a stag party fight, fighting a child for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but like some of the costumes look very from the comics, but also very much from like the like you know a costume shop because they look too like the characters. Yeah, I always described Gotham as teeny bopper Batman, and uh, it was it, like it was a weird idea. Again, it was basically Smallville but with Batman villains and. I just, I just don't get why we just can't have Batman, you know, just a Batman TV series. Like, no, overall, though, I did really enjoy the film. It was good world building. There was good acting in it, which is a big thing. Like, one of the things of Batman, this is going to sound really stupid. I'm not going to do the voice, but I rewatched Batman Begins recently, as I said earlier. And Bruce, our, our Christian Bale's voice is a little bit hamming it. The, Where is he? <laughs> and it's very like, does he need a limp sip or what's going on here? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm just like, I think Christian Bale is an amazing actor, but that voice is just so silly. And I just, it, I'm just like, you can disguise your voice in other ways and not sound like 
so terrible. Like <laughs> the funny thing about it is, Batman didn't have two voices until Batman the Animated Series. It was Kevin Conroy first introduced it? Mm-hmm. Really? Huh? Because before that, it was like, "Whoa, it's Adam West Batman." Hi, I'm Adam West Batman. Yeah, I sound a lot like that guy Bruce Wayne, but I'm not Bruce Wayne. <laughs> like Michael, Michael Keaton, Batman just whispered a lot. I'm just remembering that scene from like the Batman TV series in the 60s where Bruce Wayne gets called at the same time that Batman's on the phone with the commissioner. And he's literally like switching between voices as he's like, as he's like, put me on to Bruce Wayne. And he's just like talking to himself. And I'm just like, you know, this is why... We'll forever love Adam West. He was he was just so willing to go for it, and he was just such an amazing actor. Even like my favorite things over the whole like Batman voice as well as like in live action. So you Chris, you know Christian Bale's one, which was the where is he? And he actually said in the Batman Begins DVD that he what inspired him for the voice was the suit gave him a headache. And I love the sheer <laughs> thought that like does he make himself suffer for the role? He gets a headache from the suit because it's warm. One of the things I've absolutely loved of like female actresses just uh, talking about um, like uncomfortable clothes and everything is that they have said that like the clothes that they wear, like the special suits they wear for superhero movies aren't that uncomfortable compared to what they have to genuinely wear. (laughs) And it's just like, oh, so you guys are just used to this and men i guess you're just complaining a lot <laughs> you mentioned superhero movies there and like you know like what female female act, like actors have to wear and i always remember when i was younger i remember something about eight or nine and catwoman was on television or something and i watched like you no know, 20 minutes of it. it was mom catwoman there's a batman movie on and like you know she she needs to stand in her own two feet i'm not saying she needs to be attached to a batman film but as a child i thought that still do where if you see a film you know with like harley quinn the birds of prey seth and gotham you'd expect a reference to batman in some capacity yeah. So I'm watching it as a child. By the way, this film was universally panned. It was like one of Razzie's. It's, 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 oh, yeah. No, I think even Halle Berry has just like disowned it at this point. So I watched like 20 minutes of this as a child and legitimately went, where's Batman? What is, what is this? Why? why? She must be cold in that costume. I'm sorry. <laughs> but like... It, there's, not, there's not much to it. Like, let's be honest here. That is an uncomfortable... That is like a very light costume. <laughs> like, it put that as calamity number one of the evening because like, when it comes to Batman, there's genuinely... You know what, Superman, there's a certain sense of weirdness because he's an alien. With Batman, one issue could be like stopping drug dealers in Gotham and the next issue could be like him going off to Baghdad a thousand years ago to meet Joker's like a great, 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 great grandfather. Which is a real story, by the way, from Batman 49. I mean, I, I think we often forget like how weird some of the earliest Batman stories were. S- sorry, can I just mention, when he goes back to Baghdad, not worried about that at all. He goes back because he finds a rug with the picture of Joker on and goes, I want to find out more about this. So he just travels back in time because this is the 50s. You do things like that. Just just no explanation. Just like, I'm going to go back in time. I'm back in time. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there probably is. But again, I'm not going to find a copy of Batman 49. Well, I'm sure you can find it somewhere on like, oh, wait, no, we, we still don't have DC Infinite over here. Um, but yeah, no, I was actually looking at like some of the early Batman comics myself as well. And one that I found really weird. And, you know, I was looking for ones that were associated with, uh, you know, the Batman and some of the characters we saw. The Penguin being one is that one of the earliest comics involving the Penguin is him trying to go straight. This almost immediately after his uh, first appearance. And he decides uh, that he's going to go straight, can't find a job that doesn't pay like six figures or something. He's like, I can't work for less than that. Then he goes to the movies, sees this cartoon about a penguin, and he is ins- he's insistent that it is like him, that it is him, they're portraying him, and they are slandering him. And he just loses his plot to the point that he decides to tie explosives to penguins to keep Batman and Robin busy while he commits crimes. And it's just so weird and it's just like this is what happens when you have like a third of a comic and you're just eight pages of kind of nonsense in a way so yeah i'm gonna tie penguins explosives to penguins because i'm the penguin and i hate penguins which doesn't like go with any of his other things sure it reminds me of that like brian boland story he did like an, like an eight issue thing where this guy was like he wanted to do one bad thing in his life you know we all want to do something but mad in our lives I want to go to the most insane football derbies in the world. Things like that. So this guy makes a plan. He wants to kill the Batman. So in this issue, he ha- he's making a video of him explaining it. And he's like, yeah, and on this night in particular, Batman's going to fight the Penguin on a massive typewriter. And when he finishes the battle, I'm going to shoot him in the head. And then I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Is the last line of it. 
And like it's if you if you look at it in the context of like those like you know murderers in the nineties when this was wrote, like the guy who tried to kill the the Icelandic vocalist with these new videos and explains their actions beforehand, it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. But like the image of Batman fighting Penguin on a giant typewriter and then you get the head blown off him is quite odd. I mean him just shooting Batman with a gun is like pretty straightforward for a Batman villain though. Although I don't know where the whole giant typewriter came from. Uh, like you just mentioned like really weird like Batman stuff and there's one that's you know the kind of comic you always think about yeah so when I was younger I got into Batman seriously after Hush they rebranded it so over the side of the, the, the Atlantic they had a comic called Batman Legends and that ended when they finished off War Games War Ga- and never did War Crimes just did War Games Red Hood Arc that was it so when it got relaunched they relaunched it with Grant Morrison's run of Batman which had two stories in it but I was 10 so this was in the kids section in like Porter's it was called at the time now Eason's or Eason mm-hmm. so the first one is All-Star Batman and Robin which we'll talk about in a second <laughs> we love All-Star Batman and Robin and the other one was Grant Morrison's run of Batman Grant Morrison's run of Batman was the first run of Batman I devoured I loved it it ran for six years I think but it was so mad and it had one issue with it actually no there's multiple comics in this I can talk about right now <laughs> I think when it comes to Grant Morrison, there is so he explores so many weird ideas over the years that, you know, you could literally just pick up any, just any comic with Grant Morrison, like pick up his run in the X Men. Like in fairness, he did a huge amount of world building there, but he also introduced some of the weirdest characters, like Phantom X, who I'm not even gonna try and explain, but he's so bizarre, and you know, really just kind of change around like so much of what you expect from a lot of these comics and. I, I do remember reading his Batman comics at the time and, you know, some of them were really good, but then other times I was just like, what the hell is going on? Like, wh- how is he telling this story? Like you mentioned, uh, you mentioned there that, you know, Grant Morrison's ideas. So he does this one called Batman Rest in Peace with this organization called The Black Glove, I think, are out to kill uh, Batman. So they target him for like, you know, they different ways for ages and ages they're targeting Batman. So they eventually have this part where he's injected with halluc- hallucinin. There's a trigger word in his head called Zorana, which is like going to give him a psychotic breakdown. He has a psychotic breakdown. He wakes up with Batmite over his shoulder telling him what to do. And he then gets a costume which is purple, yellow and red, which is it's from a comic in the 50s, by the way. This is like, Bat- like the Batman of Zarathustra or something like that. Yeah, the Batman of Zorana. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but Zorana, it's Z-U-R-R-E-N-A-R-R-G-H. You're probably pronouncing it better than I am. <laughs> So I remember the first issue is Batman wakes up and he's like, Batman's like over his shoulder telling him what to do. So he tells him, you're being tracked. And he goes, yeah, I know I am. He gets out a bat, a batarang and cuts something out of his tooth. It's a tracking chip. Goes, I knew I was being tracked the whole time. Don't know how he got it right first goal, by the way. <laughs> so he's the, by the way, he's on these hallucinations in this like literal, I suppose, like imp suit nearly, if like from the medieval ages. He gets a baseball bat and goes into a load of guys in the drugs den or something, like dealing. And he goes, I'm going to, he goes like, it's the Batman, I'm here now. And just goes to town on, with them, with the baseball bat. It's the mo- with an imp over his shoulder. I'm, I'm just, I'm listening to this and I'm like, I, I can't remember this particular one. I do believe it existed. It sounds like a Grant Morrison one. But if you were able to inject him with something, why don't you inject him with poison? Why don't you just kill him? <laughs> <laughs> like why do you need a hallucinogen and a trigger word like I, I swear like some of this stuff is just so over the top like i am familiar with the with the design yeah that that makes perfect sense um, the, be- the best part is in the panel where he's announced is it's really like red lightning behind him and is like the batman of zer n r with like an obese batmite behind him being like oh it's a really weird panel because they, they draw him really like, bulging in the uniform. It's really mm-hmm. weird. But again, it's Grant Morrison. Nothing makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I won't say all of that is up to Grant Morrison. I do think that in some cases he was literally kind of forced to finish a lot of his stories up a lot quicker, you know, to get Batman back sooner. But <laughs> even when he's doing everything to plan, there are some extremely weird ones. And like Batman, I think, has always, you know, been a bit weird. Like, you know, a lot of his villains, like... I mean, we can talk about like a lot of his major villains. Most of them are kind of like crime bosses with weird masks or something. But there are also a lot of other villains where they've just always been weird, like uh, Kite Man or Condiment King or one Kite like Man. that. Hell yeah, Kite Man. Yeah. <laughs> I always kind of feel like there's like there's like two types of villains. You've like you know the Joker's two faces, you know, where they're quite serious villains. Then you have the other school, which is like the 
I suppose with Kite Man, he's there for a purpose. Like, which is the reason why I'm pretty sure uh, Condom and King wasn't included in the Suicide Squad. He was told he was a joke villain. He was created yeah. as a joke. Like, when he's introduced in Batman the Animated Series, is he's someone who... Was it he was he was like a judge or something who got his mind controlled or got hypnotized by Hugo Strange or something? Like, you know, he's not an actual villain. He's mm-hmm. whereas if you look at Kite Man, they gave Kite Man a tragic origin under Tom King's run, actually, in the War of Jokes and Riddles, which I loved, by the way. Yeah. Was it Tom King or was it someone else who also made like Penguin attracted to literal penguin? Like that was his first love or something. It was just like guys, what the fuck is going on? Sure. I they they try to rebrand villains every couple of years. Like, I remember they did one a couple of years ago with... It was during the Court of Owls arc. It was Batman Annual 1, I think, when they relaunched in the New 52. And I don't remember the the, the actual details of the storyline. But basically, Mr. Freeze brings his, his mother, or it, it's either his mother or Nora. I think it's his mother. Out to, like, this frozen lake. And they have a conversation every day. And the last panel is... she He wheels her in a wheelchair. And, like, there's, like, plot of ice. And she goes, like, oh, this is lovely. Then he just throws her into the bat of ice. <laughs> it's, it's really weird because they, they're trying to, like, modernize villains. But, like, in my head, the accepted origin of Mr. Freeze is the Heart of Ice from the animated series. Yeah. Don't add anything weird to it. Don't just, just leave it as it is. Not getting sexually fascinated with a penguin. Just leave it as it is. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, hopefully, like, <laughs> they won't do Mr. Freeze like the Arnold Schwarzenegger version again, which was just so bad. Especially after they had done Heart of Ice and they had actually really popularized him a lot more than he'd ever been in the previous 30, 40 years since his original release. I always find it quite funny though in terms of like how like Batman villains are kind of presented like that of how like you know they've been growing up very quickly like the same with Two-Face mm-hmm. uh, Two-Face was always well he was originally Harvey Kent but they changed the name to Harvey Dent because of the similarity to Superman mm-hmm. when after all like you know Harvey Kent and Harvey Dent and all that Two-Face when they released The Long Halloween his accepted origin became the one The Long Halloween which is he gets the acid thrown at him by Salabos Moroni in the dock it's in issue 8 I think mm-hmm. so like that became this like Okay, that's accepted origin. He's no longer, you know, a schizophrenic. They actually kind of genuinely explored him who he is. Mm-hmm. But they've done that with a lot of villains. Then there's Joker, where you've like the killing joke as his origin. You have Well, I think one of the biggest strengths about the Joker is he really likes the multiple possible origins idea. Mostly because but he uses that as well in order to manipulate people like Harley Quinn, like and you can see that in Mad Love, that you know, he uses uh like his origin like to basically kind of in transfer because you know he's like oh you're the only psychologist who really reached out to me who you know who i really feel comfortable with like he doesn't give a damn about what his actual origin is he's only using this to basically trap her really and it really just shows that you know like that's something psychologists are really interested in but he himself he only he's a villain he's only using it like for villainous means because there's, you know, there's the whole origin of he's a crook who was running, fell into the vat of acid. There's the Killing Joke one, which was it was just so bleak, which is he finds out that his wife, who was heavily pregnant, was trying out a bottle a bottle warmer and she got electrocuted. He found this out and was like, I want to give her a good funeral. So he's going to rob the, is it some casino, I think, or some carriage factory. So he buddies to get through Ace Chemicals first. That's how the joke was formed there. There's the whole Scott Snyder arc which had the Joker's origin as, like, a gang of Red Hoods, and he, like, got stuck in a dump or something, but you're never kind of, like, told which one is it. Mm-hmm. You also have the... So, in the mid-2000s, they did a Batman series called Batman Confidential, which yeah. was... It was run alongside Superman Confidential, which got cancelled after six issues, and they never told people the Superman died at the end. <laughs> they, literally, the last issue, Superman fall into Kryptonite, and they, leave it, they never, like, it released issue seven. Bit of an important plot point there. <laughs> Uh, so Batman Confidential the first arc is Batman versus Lex Luthor but there were supposed to be stories set in Carter's earlier kind of history when they're first starting out okay kind of like what X-Men Legends is doing right now yeah so the first six issues was Batman versus like robots by Lex Luthor where he was supposed to sign a deal with uh, Lex Corp it's a bit like the Batman the animated series crossover with Superman the animated series mm-hmm. the second arc is the Joker's origin and you know the scars he has the Chelsea smile he gets that from a battle rag in it. It's really weird. It's, huh. it's like a seven-issue arc, but the Joker's only in it for the last issue. But it's like it's it's an origin of Joker that's never going to be mentioned again. Yeah, I I think like at the end of the day, like it does seem like the common elements here are really the Red Hood and Ace Chemicals. I think for most origins, like that's kind of been more or less accepted for the Joker. I think beyond that, 
it can kind of take away the mystery. It can kind of take away the intrigue about it because at the end of the day, his origin isn't really as important as his actual current actions in the plot and, you know, his actual personality as well. And I do hope that, you know, we do get humorous jokers again because I'm really sick of really kind of depressing jokers who aren't funny. Like, I feel like Mark Hamill really cornered the market on, like, funny and threatening. And, you know, sure, you we haven't gotten that in a while. Uh, you know, jokers, which are really screwed up. People thought of the Dark Knight Joker. He's not the most screwed up one. There's a lot more screwed up ones out there. Like, you know, the Batman R.A.P. arc, the yeah. one which gets injected with hallucinogen, hallucin, I can't pronounce it. Hallucinogen. Hallucinogen. At the end of the first issue, it goes like a dream sequence, and it's got Robin l- sitting there with like a thing written on his uniform, ha ha ha, and he's got his throat slit. Then it goes to Nightwing beside him, who's got like a Chelsea smile, and it goes to Batman, who's the same, and it's like Joker like, another pretty flower. Mm. and he's in like a lab coat in like issue 6 like a proper like retitled lab coat like a mad scientist and he gets out like a blade and slits his tongue in two like a like a lizard and it's a bit like look I like the Joker when he's twisted but he has to be twisted and funny at the same time where yeah. like he'll make a really awful joke but you're still kind of like oh it's kind of funny like part of his charm is that he is crazy but he's also like he thinks he's the most hilarious person on earth like he is doing these things in a lot of in a lot of times because he is trying to be humorous and you know i think it's it's really funny as well as like you know a few months ago we rewatched return of the joker as well the batman beyond film and like you can see that like terry really gets to him like uh, that version of the batman when he's really making him the butt of the joke like really infuriating him like really annoying aggravating him because the joker has never been the butt of the joke and he's like oh you did all this to make batman laugh have you ever met the guy like you know, you'd be better off pulling, getting blood from a stone. Like, you know, he's not a humorous person. And, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense for his character, but it does make a lot of sense for Terry's character as well. And, you know, I just, like, I, I like that kind of Joker. Like, I don't mind if he's a bit more serious. Like, I really enjoyed Under the Red Hood. Like, John DiMaggio does a great job with the Joker. And he is very funny as well, but he's also very dark and it's a very realistic version of it. But, you know, we don't always get that. And, like, especially when it comes to, like, Jared Leto's Joker, like, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, they've been very serious. And, you know, they shouldn't be so serious. Why so serious? Like, it's... I, lo- I, I love the Joker. Like, I love Two-Face. You know, Two-Face is one of those villains where DC always kind of feel like they never know what to do with him because they kind of fix him. Then, like, basically, like, disfigure him six issues later. And, like, they did that really weird arc. I think it was in the late, early to late 2000s called, like, Face to Face where basically Batman like cleans up Gotham, but then there's a, a serial killer killing off all the supervillains as Harvey Dent is back in Gotham. Mm-hmm. And like the whole issue is like, oh my God, is it Harvey Dent? Last issue, it is Harvey Dent. It's like, you know the whole point of who done it is you're not supposed to tell the person. <laughs> I'm 99% sure it's Harvey Dent. But they have a panel in it where he like pours over, he's like pouring over acid and stuff. He's like, yes, I'm back. It, it's really creepy. But in the New 52, they did this weird thing where Batman fought him. And like, let's say, I think it was Batman, it was after... Jason, t- it was after uh, Damien Wayne died. So what they did uh, thing was like Batman and Aquaman, Batman and Blank, Batman and Blank. Mm-hmm. They did one in Batman Two Face. I'm pretty sure it's this arc. It's not. It's not. If it's not, it's in Detective Comics, where it ends where he failed Two Face or something. So he goes into a room and it shows him sh- shooting himself in the head. <laughs> and about two issues later, he comes back in a different comic. I'm not trying to make light of suicide far from it, but DC have always kind of really w- odd things with Two Face. Like yeah. even with Grant Morrison's run, they did one with a skip forward like 50 years later. And mm-hmm. Damien Wayne is... Batman 666, I believe. Yeah, actually, it is issue 666. It That opens up really weird as well. There's like, you know, this comes with like anti-Muslim groups. It's just really weird. It's Yeah, it really kind of sounds like it's of its time as well. Like, you know, really, I think that was like 2000s, like maybe like the first half of 2000s. Like there was still a lot of that in a lot of those comics. Yeah, like it, it's it's really complex. There's those like political undertones, like which you'll get to in a second. Um... But with issue 66, there's, he kind of revisits that continuity. Like, he it would, like, I think for the 75th anniversary of Batman, where he basically, like, picks up where that issue leaves off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And with it, he has, like, three face, which has got, like, two face. But, like, in his armpit is another face. Ugh. It's it's really weird, because I think three face was a character for a while. I, I, I could be making this up. I'm pretty sure there's a character called three face. It's, it's, it sounds believable anyway. Like, it does sound like a Grant Morrison story. But you mentioned there, sorry, about the, the political undertones of Batman. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things I feel like people have never kind of spoke about. 
where I've kind of like how Batman has been this weird kind of political figure where he's been used to explore kind of issues on the left to a certain extent of Danny O'Neill who's quite a liberal like left wing kind of like writer yeah uh, but then you have like you know the fact that Frank M- Miller wanted to shoehorn him in for Holy Terror which was incredibly Islamophobic which is Batman fighting Al-Qaeda yeah I think that was really probably like the lowest points in Frank Miller's career and like un- like I'm not gonna try and diminish that like he did see 9-11 terrorist attacks but seeing that and then kind of making a comic where Batman goes to Iraq and kills a bunch of Al-Qaeda is a pretty strong response and it is extremely Islamophobic like you know definitely do not do not buy this uh, at all but you know I think that did kind of come out of like a lot of the political political fervor of the 2000s as well and you know both of us lived through that as well so you know we, we were kind of <laughs> we did kind of see some of this played out but I think we were probably a bit too young to kind of understand exactly how much that actually influenced uh you know pop culture especially things like say 24 which became basically Jack Bauer versus terrorists um but one thing I did want to talk about, and it's actually one of the other villains that appears in uh, the Batman movie, is uh, the Riddler. Because in the mid to late 2000s, uh, he actually became reformed after uh, one year later <laughs> when he got hit in the back of the head with a mace by Shining Knight. He lost his compulsion to solve all these riddles, to set all these riddles for Batman and for other for other heroes as well. And he actually went to the site of good for a good three years. Um, it started in Detective Comics 822, where he start, first started helping Batman. But, you know, over the next three years, he would go on to help other people like Nightwing, Mary Marvel. And he also, during the battle for the cowl as well, he brought together Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy and inadvertently led to the formation of the Gotham City Sirens, which given that it was that that particular tie-in was written by Paul Dini makes perfect sense because it was obviously something he wanted to do for a long time you know we saw Poison Ivy and Harley get together in the Batman the Animated Series like we saw them hanging out um and you know like those two really kind of (laughs) been a couple even more so now but you know like over those three years it really showed like a very different side of Riddler like he became a private detective he stayed on the side of good and it was a really interesting time as well because the Riddler has always been portrayed as probably the most intelligent of all of Batman's villains probably up there with Hugo Strange as well and you know because of the fact that you know he always is up against the world's greatest detective he always has to be outsmarted at the end like he can't win I mean, that's the nature of the game, but it was kind of interesting to see him actually be more of a mastermind, be more of an investigator and actually kind of help out Batman. And, you know, we've even seen this pour into some of the other Batman uh, animated series as well. Like there's Justice League action that came out in the 2010s and we actually saw that version of Riddler and he was trying to help Batman uh, track down, I think it was the Joker. And, you know, we get, well, not Batman, I think it was Green Arrow and Wonder Woman. But, you know, he was actually working with them. And, you know, it's such a different side to the character. I mean, completely antithetical to what we got in the Batman. But, you know, just an interesting period of time. Like, it's interesting you say, like, you, you mentioned that, though, because I remember uh, Riddler's in Hush. And I always see it with DC, they want to do more with the Riddler than just make him standard. Like, riddle me this, riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big black bat? They want to make him an actual kind of, like, you know, like, Bat- one of Batman's most top-provoking villains. Mm-hmm. So with the before, so in Hush, which is a twelve issue arc release, I think two thousand three, I think, which basically is this guy's targeting Batman. He's releases Rogues Gallery after him, and he's targeting him. It's twelve issues. It's really good. It's good introduction to Batman because you meet up most of his rogues in it. So in like issue twelve, I think this is a spoiler about this kind of a famous moment in the comics mm-hmm. where he's talking to him in a cell and he goes, "Is that right, Bruce?" And he did Batman the Duck that he's actually he knows who he is. Mm-hmm. So Batman beats him within an inch of his life. He literally goes like pounds him. Like I'm not, I have to give him that type of violence, by the way. But <laughs> it's it's quite violent. We talk about superhero comics a lot. There's gonna be some kind of violence, I'd say. But even at the end of the new, at the end of like let's say pre New Fifty Two, after he became the the good guy, he had like a psychic for a while as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was actually when he went back into villainy. He got his own psychic as well. Honestly, we could do a whole. V- a whole podcast about like the weird sidekicks of like uh, supervillains. It's kind of funny. Like it's I suppose it's quite funny that was the Riddler as a, as a character because like there's been so many variations of him. Like in the in the animated version of Hush, 
which I don't know if you've seen that film. It's it's kind I of I actually haven't, but uh, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. We apologize, but like. I suppose he's probably one of Batman's like more smarter rogues, but like again, he's one of those ones I think who carried well from the nineteen fifties mm-hmm. because like a lot of the stories in the fifties are quite weird. Yeah, like there's actually just one you, may, you mentioned Grant Morrison, so he legitimized a lot of like the really weird kind of Batman stuff in a graphic novel called The Black Case Book, where basically mm-hmm. Batman catalogued his weird and wonderful cases, and one of them is Batman fights. I what's the best way to descri- describe this? The this rainbow monster, and he turns Batman into Flatman. He literally flattens Batman. <laughs> but like, it's like the tip of the iceberg, though, how weird the 50s are. I'm sorry, I just have to talk about weird the 50s are. Like, there's one where apes from the future travel back in time. Thank you, Looper, by the way, for putting me in this direction. Where these apes travel back in time and tell Batman, Superman's going to do something awful. So Superman puts... Sorry, Batman puts Superman on trial. Because <laughs> apes in the future told him to. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we'll definitely have to go into those a bit more... I really kind of want to read that one about the apes, but you know, like I think I think like we we just kind of need to talk about some of the other stuff that's coming on. Like Batman's a weird fucking character. Just, we will... just one last thing about Batman for relief. Mm-hmm. All Star Batman and Robin. I I think we need to give that its own its own its own one, but that is weird as hell. And like trigger warnings for that whole episode because it's I, yeah, like there's the, you've just... been drafted into a war, kid. The, the, there's one scene I do love though where it's like Batman kidnapped a child and it cuts to Superman who's drinking milk and it shows his hand with a carton of milk and he goes no oh yeah Batman and Black Canary have sex next to like a fire after beating up people there's so much going on there the, the I, opening... I really think that we need to give it its own one like there's even a scene where Batman and Robin cover themselves in yellow paint and paint a whole room yellow because that was Green Lantern's old weakness still kind of is and it's so stupid and it's so weird. I mean, it's funny in a way, but it's also such a bad comic. You know, even like the opening scene, like the very first issue is Vicky Vale in stilettos, bra and underpants. That's it. Going like, Batman, who is he? And just she, she's just, and she's it's really pronounced her figure as well. And like, it's really kind of like, you know, the way women, like women don't look like this. Over-sexualized oh, women. Completely over-sexualized. Over-sexualized women in comics. Like that. That's a whole other one that we do want to get into as well. But, you know, just kind of talking about, yeah. like, what's currently coming out as well. Like, we just both saw the first uh, first uh, episode of Moon Knight. First impressions, I'm still, I, I don't know, yes. I'm interested. I really do want to see more. But even though this, this episode was, like, almost 15 minutes long, I, I don't feel like we got that much from it yet. But I am interested to see where they're going. Although... Personally, as someone called Emmett, I feel personally attacked that the villain is called Amit. <laughs> like, I think this MCU has potential. I'm excited for the, for this, to see where this TV show goes. Because legitimately, there's no connections to the MCU in this episode. It's brilliant. Bar one kind of small Doctor Doom knob, you think. But, like, it's quite nice to have an MCU property that isn't like... You know, with King with um, Hawkeye, spoiler warning for Hawkeye, there's like... You kind of knew there's a big cameo coming, then it mm-hmm. became a kingpin. You, you knew with Division there was a big thing of like how is this going to tie to the wider Marvel Universe with this feel it's very self-contained and I really enjoyed that that it was just it didn't kind of go yeah like the big green guy in New York if you get if you if you get me <laughs> like the first uh, season of uh, Daredevil yeah absolutely I I think we'll see I know that like a lot of the critics have been saying it's very disconnected I still believe that like and I know that that's something that Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke were both very attracted to in the roles but I still think we're going to see something by episode 6 Mostly because the critics have only been given episodes one to four. So I want to see where it goes. But I'm interested. It looks really cool. Although Oscar Isaac's English accent. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really wish they had him like a full scout or something from Newcastle. Because I feel like there's a very, like you see in Hollywood, they do very generic English accents. Mm-hmm. And like, I kind of wish they'd like, you know, have a guy from Liverpool in a, you know, a Scouse accent, someone from Newcastle in a Gajordi accent, you know, someone from Manchester, you know, talk like they're from Manchester, not like, I don't know, obviously do the accents, I can't do it. No, but Dylan is hoping for a whole Glaswegian accent for Batgirl because it is being filmed there. <laughs> Can you imagine Batman with a Glasgow accent? <laughs> well, you keep saying a Chelsea smile and I always thought that was like a Glasgow smile when I heard of it before. I, th- I think it's like a different name where you go in the world. Like you mentioned just about uh, just Moon Knight but it's set in London. I already complained earlier that the geography in the city's wrong. Like he's by a tube station, he's by the the gallery, 
So mm-hmm. I, I again, I'm from Cork. I've only I, I go to London quite regularly, but I don't you know know it's it's know every detail about London. Like I know where Chelsea Football Club is, I know where Arsenal is, mm-hmm. but like I love this year. I thought of someone going, "You broke the sense of realism." This is this reminds me of when uh, Spider Man PS4 came out, and people were like. Oh, I wanted to see my street in New York, and my street wasn't exactly there the way I saw it. I thought it would be, and it's like, this was made by a team on the west coast of the United States for a fictional New York, where instead of the bull of Wall Street, you have Lockjaw from the Inhumans. Even <laughs> don't talk about realism here. <laughs> sure, like you only get like the kind of New York City part of the game. You don't get like you know you can't fly out to Flushy Meadows and go to a Mets game like. You really want to go to a Mets game in Flushing Meadows, don't you? <laughs> it's funny because I'm a Red Sox fan. Uh, bring up the 1984 World Series. But, like, it's I find it quite funny, just go back to Moon Knight, of how, like, the show was so self-contained. But, like, I feel like I like the whole unreliable narrator narr- narrator thing. Like, again, I know who he really is, so do you because we read comics. But, again, like, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns to who he, who he actually is, which we'll find out later on. Also, that opening scene is probably one of the most, like, disturbing things I've ever seen in the comic book thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think that they've done a really good job with this. Like, you know, it is a much darker take as well on the MCU that we've seen. And I, I really do like seeing these um, these new kind of takes in the MCU, like, these new characters being introduced. Like, Moon Knight has always been someone who's been pretty self-contained anyway, like he was introduced in Werewolf by Night, uh, I think it was number twenty-eight or so, um, but he's always been a character who hasn't had as much interconnectivity with a lot of the other superheroes. Like he has, I think he has been an Avenger. He has, oh, he was in Secret Avengers, sorry, um, and he has like worked with some other heroes as well in the past. But more or less, he he has he has kind of done a lot of his own thing, and like even a lot of his villains are pretty unique to how, just how, him. How does he eat soup? <laughs> or you know if he's if he's in an all white suit or pasta he's like oh shit I got a bit of red in it it looks like blood I'm tough <laughs> but if we go to soup like you know would he be fighting Doc Ock not Ocko is that a Cully and Scully vegetable soup there like because it's, it's so white his costume <laughs> it really is um, one thing that actually reminded me of and you know just just in the way it kind of appears is actually Ragman uh, the DC comic book character um, who you know his his powers come from his suit made of rags. And it was something that we did see in the Arrow TV series. It's actually one of those things that that kind of reminds me the most of, especially how it like you know kind of envelops him as well when it when it's produced. I'm very I'm very curious to see where it goes. I'm also curious about is Stephen Grant even a real person? Is he just you know I I know in the comics he has been suggested to have like dissociative identity disorder. Like is he just like another personality within Mark Spector? How is that going to go? I'm I'm very kind of curious to see what the next step are and like Conchu as well. I think you know is kind of making an interesting kind of not not exactly a villain, but kind of like an interesting kind of antagonistic voice in his head. I really like I genuinely like really enjoyed it, and it's kind of funny because it came out the same week as Morbius, which is mm-hmm. getting like it's getting absolutely mauled by critics. Yeah, we're currently just looking at the Rotten Tomatoes page, and it's got about. 100 views or 100 reviews and it's at 16 percent that is one of the lowest comic book movies in recent years and like just in terms of how they described it they say uninspired effects rope performances and a borderline nonsensical story this is really a shame because it does have some really good actors in it including matt smith um but you know i i i've been looking at this i've been kind of seeing what they've been doing and I had no faith in this film. I don't even know who the bad guy is. I've just been, most of the trailers seem to have been framed around Morbius and how cool his powers are, even though he literally turns into like, just like, like this awful faced monster. The best part, I'm like, I'm, I'm like okay, spoiler warning, but I'm not going to spoil anything here. So just trust me what I'm going to say. The director spoiler spoiled. Spoiler for non-spoilers. <laughs> the director basically like gave away with the post credit scene as well on Twitter. Like, which I feel is never a good sign if like you know you know Adrian Toomes yeah yeah the vulture yeah he's in the ad so this is not a spoiler at all so like he's in the film at some point but he goes he doesn't play a big role in the film is what he said and it's a bit like yeah you basically like you know the the setting point of the film was how is this tied to the rest of Spider-Man I also, mean we, we've seen so many references to all of the different versions of Spider-Man in the film or in the trailers sorry 
we haven't seen the film yet don't worry we can't really spoil it and it's weird like this really feels like it's kind of in the venom kind of area where it could maybe be connected to any of the films but it doesn't have any direct references but it doesn't have anything either that really could cut it out either but you know obviously we now know like <laughs> we now know that venom wasn't ever in uh the M the marvel mcu kind of expected that in fairness but you know we'll, we'll kind of see what happens next i guess yeah like i know the basilic series in underway they also said and this is the director of morbius and excuse me amy pascal said we will meet the spider-man of this universe soon they're not going to introduce miles because they're not going to waste miles in this kind of like you know on this universe like especially because they've drawn direct hints to peter parker so like my guess it probably will be andrew garfield and it'll retcon it to say the first two andrew garfield films are like mm. the actual first two films in the sony universe and that saves him introducing spider-man in the first place yeah i think most most uh audiences are you know sophisticated enough to understand that there can be multiple spider-man films and multiple spider-men so i guess we'll see where it goes personally i do hope they save miles for live action they give him a proper story like i don't think shoehorning him in as a spider-man in like venom and morbius would really be great for the character but you know we have into this like across the spider-verse which is the next one so i'm really confident in sony sony animation like if it's anything like the first film i'm here for it 100 percent and you know hopefully we'll see oscar isaac have a bigger role in that than just like uh end credits cameo <laughs> also i'm really excited because the spider-man he's playing spider in 1999 miguel o'hara he's got irish heritage where does his irish heritage come from it comes from cork thank you will sliney <laughs> yeah well i mean o'hara is a pretty irish name in fairness <laughs> yeah like police chief o'hara in the 1960s batman series just to go back to where we originally started from because <laughs> everything at the end of the day comes back to batman because you know morbius is a man who's also a vampire which is bats and moon knight who is you know an airsats batman so yeah that's kind of what we were hoping to talk about today you know next month we're gonna hopefully talk a bit more about moon knight kind of what our impressions are and some of the weird stories as well <laughs> and believe me that is not too difficult just kind of looking at the history of moon knight either including like there was an entire comic book series by brian michael bendis dylan's favorite author mm -hmm. um if that grumble tells you anything, it's not his favorite author, um, where his personalities become Spider-Man, Wolverine, and Captain America for absolutely no reason, because apparently that's how he thinks dis dissociated identity disorder works, which it doesn't. So yeah, hopefully we'll talk about that more next month, maybe give our kind of impressions of Morbius if we get a chance to see it, and yeah, talk to you even more about more calamities. <laughs>